You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. In a global economy, toxic-wielding bacteria happen everywhere, making travel potentially hazardous for everyone. Who provides the best travel advice? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jay Keystone, professor in the Department of Medicine and director of the International Health Programs at the University of Toronto. He is also a travel and tropical medicine specialist at Toronto General Hospital. Dr. Keystone, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. What led to your passion for travel and tropical medicine? Well, it's very interesting. It was kind of an offer that I couldn't refuse, as it turns out. took a year off to travel around the world, and the chief of medicine heard that I was going around the world, taking a year off. I also didn't do too badly in medical school, and he phoned me up and said, we would like you to come back to Toronto after you've finished your travels and head the tropical disease unit at Toronto General Hospital. And I said to him, I don't know anything about tropical medicine, but I'll let you know. And after I'd worked two months in Africa, West Africa, I loved doing what I was doing. It gave me an opportunity to travel. I love the developing world. And I say, you train me. I get. The, I went to the London School of Tropical Medicine. I, I did field work for a year and a half in the field in, in tropics. And I came home in 1977, and I've been here 30 years at the same hospital where I was born. Talk about boring. <laughs> Describe travel medicine. Well, you have to think about. I, I think I need to distinguish for your listeners. There's a difference between travel and tropical medicine. Just to start with, tropical medicine is basically medicine related to illnesses in the developing world or parasitic disease, and so it's people coming back ill that we look after. Travel medicine is actually a very new specialty. It really isn't more than about 20 years old in terms of its official. Uh, in fact, it's 1998 was the first conference of travel medicine ever held in the world in Switzerland, so we're only about 20-year-old subspecialty, and it is the field of medicine that is designated or designed to ensure the safe health of or the health of travelers when they travel internationally. So it's maintaining the health of travelers who travel internationally. It's also, to some extent, looking after immigrants who come to uh, Canada, the United States, and other developed countries and it's a little bit about thinking about the impact of travel or tourism on the developing world as well. What is the number one ailment that afflicts travelers? Oh, without any doubt whatsoever, traveler's diarrhea by far is the number one ailment that affects travelers. And the impact of that illness on many travelers is really chronic bowel problems that go on for weeks, months, or years most of which I believe are due to post-infectious irritable bowel syndrome and that can be managed much like an irritable bowel. What's the prevention and the treatment? Traveler's diarrhea prevention is basically taking the appropriate food and water precautions, but also in people who are, have high-risk travel, for example, people with HIV, with diabetes, with kidney disease, inflammatory bowel disease, or someone who just says, look, every time I travel, I get sick, I have no hesitation in putting these travelers on an antibiotic, such as a quinolone, and they take one pill, such as Cipro, Floxacin, 
one pill every day while they're away and for a couple of days after they come back. I don't usually do it for more than two or three weeks at a time, and I don't do it very commonly, but I don't want a, a patient with diabetes or kidney disease to get severely dehydrated and wind up with major problems. Now, you do have to remember that in Thailand, the quinolone antibiotics virtually don't work anymore for Campylobacter, so azithromycin is a drug that we might use in that situation. So that's prevention, and all the food and water precautions, don't drink the water, commercially, use commercially bottled beverages, et cetera, et cetera. The treatment, basically, is, again, the use of an antibiotic immediately when you develop diarrhea. Now, some of my colleagues say, oh, only use an antibiotic if you have high fever, bloody diarrhea. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you just spend $1,000 on your trip and you're going to wait until you're deathly ill? I don't think so. My approach is, if you have enough diarrhea that's going to interfere with your daily activities, then you start an antibiotic, one tablet a day for three days or as many days as you need because one tablet may be all you need. The data in the literature shows that the combination of Imodium and a single dose of an antibiotic may be just as good as three days. So most of us now will start with an antibiotic like Levofloxacin or Cipro Give them the first day of antibiotic. If they're better with that in Imodium, they don't need the next two days. Or you can even use Rifaximum as well, the new non-absorbable Rifampin derivative available in the United States. And so it's antibiotic treatment with Imodium. We do tell people if they have really are deathly ill, high fever, bloody diarrhea, you don't use the Imodium. You just use the antibiotic. And of course you rehydrate yourself. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Jay Keystone, travel and tropical medicine specialist at Toronto General Hospital. Dr. Keystone, are there certain foods that are safe everywhere, like a McDonald's pancake? <laughs> well, you know, what we generally say in travel medicine is that food that is hot and served, heated, cooked and served hot, is generally safe. The problem is you'll find that there will be places, for example, they might cook some meat, leave it stand to cool, it gets contaminated with bacteria, and then one winds up with food poisoning. So there is no guarantee. What is safe, however, are things like bread, anything dry. And so when people want to have something safe to carry with them, hey, Take a jar of peanut butter and buy local bread, and by and large, there's no question that that part of your food intake will be safe. For example, Chinese food is often very safe because it's all cooked in a pot. It's all kept in that pot until it's ladled out onto your plate, and you get it right from the pot to the plate. Other types of foods, the unsafe ones, tend to be foods that are moist or milky, been sitting around. Even the hot sauces on the table have been shown in Mexico to be contaminated with bacteria. So moist foods tend to be much less safe than dry foods. How dangerous is the food on the airplane coming home? I would have to say, by and large, the food on the aircraft is quite safe. Yes, there have been a, a number of outbreaks of foodborne infection, but that usually happens when the 
person preparing the food, I shouldn't say the person because it's usually the company preparing the food, winds up contaminating it. But, you know, most national airlines, certainly most major airlines, go to only one or two caterers who actually cater for a number of different airlines, and they have very high standards. So I'm really not concerned nearly as much about the food on an aircraft as I am about the food that you eat from a street vendor at the side of the road. Do you recommend wearing a mask on the plane? As far as I can tell, wearing a mask on a plane would be probably politically incorrect and a little scary for the person sitting beside you. We do know that viruses such as influenza and even the uh, SARS virus, for example, they were transmitted by aircraft. And I think the only time I would recommend wearing a mask is if the person next to me was coughing his or her head off. And if we were in a situation where there were, where we knew there was an outbreak of either influenza or SARS or avian flu, and we were flying from, from or to, probably from a country with these infections, I think it's not unreasonable in that situation. But by and large, no, I don't think we should be wearing masks. How about taking the over the counter products like airborne? Well, you know, there are some data, Cold FX, which is a new one, and Airborne, it suggests that these antioxidants might stimulate the immune system and decrease your susceptibility to infection. I, I, I can only say I don't have really great data on all of those, but I would say they, I, I certainly know some of my colleagues swear by using the over-the-counter products, and I would say it's not unreasonable if you're to take them a day before the flight while you're there and maybe a day or so after. What is your best advice for motion sickness? I think the Transderm patch, Transderm V, scopolamine, certainly for long trips that you put behind your ear, probably one of the most effective methods for dealing with motion sickness. But you have to put it on 12 hours ahead, and then it works for about 72 hours. But if you wait until you're actually sick it's really too late to use. Then you have to use things like bonamine and a number of the other drugs for motion sickness. Any special precautions for children who are traveling? The two key things about traveling with children, number one, they can't travel in the developing world as quickly as you can. They need water breaks. They need rest breaks. They need food constantly. But most of all, they need more breaks than you and I. And if you think that you're going to see everything and drag a few kids with you, you're wrong. You've got to slow down. The second issue is you've got to keep your eye on your kids all the time because they can fall into things. People can run them over. Just one anecdote, my four-year-old in Japan, uh, we crossed the street with the other four kids. She made a right turn, and we lost her for 30 minutes. I got to tell you, that freaked us out. So you got to keep watching your kids, and especially, most importantly, around animals, because they like to pet animals, and rabies is a major issue for children. And the other thing is in the water. In the water, making sure you keep your eye on them constantly. And finally, remember the standards in hotels may not be the same in North America, so the windows may open. The kids may be able to open a window, crawl out, 
and goodbye kid if you're a few stories up. So these are things that you really have to consider. And for those of you who think that everywhere you go there will be car seats and seat belts, you better think that one out again because they won't be there for you. Do you have any advice regarding cruise ships? The issue on cruise ships are things like norovirus and uh, influenza. And so the elderly should make sure that they're immunized against influenza, especially even if they're taking a spring cruise, because influenza A is a big issue on cruise ships. Hand sanitizer is one of the things that will help reduce your risk of infection. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Jay Keystone, travel and tropical medicine specialist at Toronto General Hospital for discussing travel medicine. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.